Hi, I'm Meredith. I'm Kristen. Welcome to the Writer Story. Um, this week we have a, a special local guest. Yes, Clifford Garstang. Um, Clifford Garstang is the author of a number of uh, books and short stories. He has a new one just out called The Shaman of Turtle Valley. So we're super excited to talk with him in a little while. Yes, and he is also a, a fellow teacher at Writer House, um, and so we've known him for, for years in the community. So it'll be really exciting to hear what's happening with his writer right, writing right now, and also get more um, uh, more information about how he started as a writer. Yeah, that'll be really fun. Yeah, and um, so we'll. We're just going to take a few minutes to talk about our own writing. How is that going? I know you yes. had house guests. And... Yes, yes, the usual life stuff. But, you know, we're finding ways to get the writing in there. And, um, yeah, and I would love your thoughts on this, Meredith, because something I've been thinking a lot about lately is writing really difficult stuff, like the kind of things you don't necessarily want people who know you to read. <laughs> Um, what do you do you wrestle with that ever? Um, I I think I do. I think I do. I think that um, there's a lot of there's a lot of issues really. I mean, I think one of the, my problems is that when I hit something that's uncomfortable, I tend to back off. Yeah, and I've been asked, I've been told to to not back off because especially I think mystery and thriller, you do need to go to uncomfortable places. Yes. To well, make a good there's, drama. If there's murder involved. But I do think that in every in every novel that that is where um, a lot of the power comes from. And so when you skirt around it, it does look like you're copping out. Yeah. And I think it um, it strips the story of some, as you use the word power, of some real narrative power and um, of the kind of material that gets right to the heart of a reader. But it's hard to do. I, um, yeah, so I'm, I'm trying to attend to that. I'm trying to attend to that a little bit more closely because um, the stories that are most compelling have protagonists facing some of the most difficult stuff, whether it's an external obstacle or their own internal hang-ups. But getting those, um, but telling those in a way that's compelling is, requires something of the author that I'm aware I don't necessarily want to do. Yeah, and I think that that's a, that's, a, that's, a hard, that's a hard thing to sort of confront in yourself um, I think there's a discomfort level, uh, especially if you're writing about experience. So if something horrible has happened to you, and now you're fictionalizing it, mm, you're yes. dealing with your own issues, right? Yes. Along with, uh, along with just the discomfort of writing about something like that. And then maybe also realizing, oh, well, people are going to read it and think that this happened to me. I mean, I have that issue. I have that issue many times when I'll say, "Okay, well, I'm gonna build. I'm gonna build something that's kind of based on something that happened to me." But as soon as I'll start writing about 
and think like, well, okay, I need more drama here, you know, um, or I'm going to tell a story about what actually did happen. Then I realize, oh, the people that it happened to are still around, and they're going to know. Mm-hmm. They're going to know that it's not totally fiction. Yeah. And I think that's the thing. If you're not, if you don't like to hurt anybody's feelings, or if you are, you know, want to still have a relationship with your family, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> maybe you back off and that's it's kind of interesting I think um, some of the unfortunately some of the best writers that we have are, are kind of jerks and I don't think they cared about hurting anybody's feelings they wanted to write a powerful story and so they were willing to destroy anybody that they had to or relationships yeah yeah I'd like to think that that you can write these difficult things without <laughs> damaging relationships, um, and I know that we that you can. But I agree that having a carelessness about how the writing would affect others can be a real asset. <laughs> but I'm not one of those people. I do care, and so I think that does get in the way sometimes. But I'm thinking about ways to get around that resistance. And one, I think, can be to, we talk about fictionalizing, but to take the fiction even more into something like fantasy, where the world itself is not even our world anymore, um, where the characters aren't necessarily 100% human, can be a way to get after some of the difficult stuff without it um, looking autobiographical. And some th- some of the things I'm thinking about are not really even autobiographical. It's just like, wow, this is really dark stuff. Yeah. And I didn't, I don't think of myself as having all this dark stuff inside of me. Well, that's another thing about writing though, right? Is discovering your own thinking and... Right. Right. And I think um, there's a challenge because I think you're going to have to live in that world. I mean, you don't write a book in a day, you write a book right. over a year, and so do you really want to dwell in a place of horrible happenings? You know, is that something right. that's going to be a challenge for you? Yeah, and yet I think every good story has to have some kind of horrible happening, whether it's, again, something, an external event, like a terrible murder, um, or an internal grappling with a quality in a character that they need to overcome or somehow reckon with. Right. Makes right. makes the story good. But the whole but the arc of the story doesn't have to all be dark for sure. No. No, but I think it is. I think it is it's a challenge and it's and it's not I don't think there's an easy answer. I mean, I remember a friend telling me writing her second book, she 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 had three kids or four kids and she she went over to her mother's every day and went down into the basement and she said she sobbed while she wrote every day and I thought oh exactly (laughs) I don't know if that's what I want to do but I but I thought wow she's really going to a dark place there yeah literally (laughs) (laughs) a windowless basement a windowless basement to sob as she wrote but because she I think had written the book first in a way that didn't go dark and deep enough. Mm, she had to yeah. revise in a way that was like fast and furious and awful. Yeah. 
interesting. And I thought, oh, that, that's, yeah, I just, I think I thought of it in a very analytical way. Oh, that's very interesting. I wouldn't really want to do that. But <laughs> Yeah, and I think about this middle grade novel that I've drafted, In the Kitchen with Gracie May, was in part um, born of the opposite impulse. That is, I just liked this girl and kind of wanted to hang out with her. And she was, and her world was fun. She's so optimistic. But the but the truth in the story is that there's there are some really dark things. She right. wants she's trying to get her dad back who has left, and he turns out to have had some dark secrets that are part of the story. And her mother as well, whom she has loved so dearly, but um, feels um, betrayed and hurt by as the story goes along. But yeah, part of part of the impulse to write that was, gosh, this sounds like a fun a fun world to inhabit. Yeah, I, I do. Um, I do think that sometimes we'll surprise ourselves, but I think sort of the way to write a very mediocre story is to make to protect your character. Yeah. And so I think um, you know the only way you ever find out what a character is made out of is is if you test them, and so. Say in our class, throw more rocks, throw more rocks, because that was, that was the, <laughs> yeah. the foundation of drama. Put your character up on a tree, throw rocks at them in the second act, and then the third act, you can let them come back down. And yeah. I think that, you know, in my class, we used to say, throw more rocks, throw more rocks. And that was because people would get to the middle of the book and they'd be like, oh, well, I guess they'll just go to the store now and buy things because people do that. And <laughs> I need something to do. Oh, yeah. and they'll have a talk again. So how are you? Oh, I'm fine. Oh, good. Yeah, and then you're like, um, there's nothing's, nothing's, happening. nothing's happening. There's no drama. That's really nice. It's nice that you're giving your character all this space and <laughs> lovely experiences. But really, yeah, to torture them. Rocks. Yeah, throw more rocks. And, yeah. Um, yeah. You know, and... and don't have a conversation when you can have an argument. <laughs> <laughs> and on those, on those words. <laughs> yeah. oh. We obviously aren't throwing enough rocks at ourselves today. We're having just a pleasant conversation. <laughs> but I, I have, I think there is, uh, there is a, there is a sort of a scariness if you are generally like a person that doesn't, I don't know, get into fights every day or, um, you know, deliberately cause accidents or try to blow up buildings. If you're trying to write a character that is in a different mindset, I think it can be really disturbing and it can be like, oh, I wouldn't mm -hmm. do that. I don't want anyone to think that I would ever do that or right. whatever it is. And right. so then you have to sort of work your way through that. I've actually written, uh, a, started trying to write a screenplay based on a nightmare or a, a dream that I had, and that was incredibly dark. And I think that might be kind of the place we have to go to sort of tap into mm -hmm. yeah, elemental and impulses or, or what could be the possibility. Um, yeah, and I think this is where the sort of mundane practice and discipline of writing can really serve us. That is, the more you just sit down, whether you feel like it or not, and work at the writing with real authenticity the more I think we do that, the easier, maybe, um, or I don't. If not easier, the more habitual yes. the exercise of going to those places is. And finally, I mean, my goodness, they are fiction. Yes. <laughs> so we're not actually throwing rocks at real people. 
And I think the other thing to remind yourself is that if you don't like it, you can always delete it. But I do, I do. Yeah. And so that you can take risks. Yes. Yeah. And, um, and then some of the like best, best advice I've heard is, um, what is the worst thing that could happen to your character? Mm, and, and try that on. And do that. Yeah. Um, and that's the thing I think that that's a hard place to go. So yeah. If, so for Gracie May, one of the worst things is to lose her dad forever, or to lose. You know what I mean? And yes. so, so you've gone there, and now what's the worst thing? You know what yeah. I mean? And so I think I think that's the way to to throw really accurate rocks <laughs> as opposed to <laughs> generally tossing pebbles <laughs> in the direction of your character <laughs> in the tree <laughs> is to say. Yeah, what is the worst thing that can happen? And can I write yeah. that? Yeah. Yeah. Can I write that? Yeah. So and that and that and then and then to try it and say, you know what? If it's too awful, you can always delete, delete it. it. <laughs> yep. But to write it. I I like that. What is the worst thing that can happen? And it's a great exercise. Just write it. Write it. Yeah, and we're not talking about nuclear war or something. I mean we're not no. talking <laughs> that would be bad. But for your character, like, what does your character really want? What does your character yeah. love? What do they care about? Mm-hmm. What's the worst thing to happen to them? And I think yeah. that's where the drama does happen. Yes. Because if, you know, you're writing a mystery, and the worst thing that could happen is your child gets kidnapped and taken from you, and that happens to someone, now what will they do to get the child back? Now, they're going to do anything, yes. and that's where the drama happens. And yes. I think that's incredibly uncomfortable, but it's also... Yes, yes. So that's, yeah. Um, For sure. Well, I'm excited that we're going to talk to Cliff and maybe he'll have some insights. Yes. Into writing the shadow. Yes. <laughs> All right, good. Well, um, we'll bring him up. Yeah. Hi, Cliff. Good morning. Good morning. It's so great to have you. I am thrilled to introduce you to our listening audience. Clifford Garstang, our guest today, is the author of a brand new novel. This is the first novel, per se, right, Cliff? Right. Yep, that's right. Called The Shaman of Turtle Valley. Now, I became familiar with your work more through the novel in stories, What the Zhang Boys Know, which won the Fiction Award at the Library of Virginia. Very cool. He's also the author of a story collection called In an Uncharted Country. Um, Cliff earned an MFA after having served as an international lawyer for years and all around the world. Um, It took him to Singapore, Kazakhstan, Indonesia, Korea, Vietnam. So it appears you've brought those experiences to your fiction, which is so rich and interesting. And we're just so excited to have you on the show. Thanks, Cliff, for being here. Thank you so much for inviting me. I'm really excited to talk to you and um, appreciate the opportunity. Cool. And uh, we really love the moment, I think, um, when when an author's book baby is just out, because I think, um, you know... I know you're probably hitting the circuit and having to talk about your book quite a bit, but it's um, super exciting to sort of reflect, I think, at that moment, how you got here, um, what the book is about, and also, you know, yeah, what led you up to this book? 
Yeah, so one of the things actually that we love to ask right off the top is how you came to writing, period. And then we want to get back to the Shaman Turtle Valley. But can you talk a little bit about this journey into writing for you? Oh, sure. Well, it's a really long story because um, I wanted to, to write, even when I was in high school, I didn't really do it, but I uh, was so enamored of the serious literature I was reading, not only uh, in school, but outside of school, that I thought <clears throat> that's really who I wanted to be. I wanted to be one of those writer guys. And um, so I went to college thinking that I would prepare myself to do that. I didn't study English, but I studied philosophy because that seemed to me to be the real underpinning of serious literature. And then, because I didn't know exactly how to go about it, I uh, started an MFA in, um, not an MFA, an MA in English, because I had never heard of an MFA at that point. This was in the 70s. So I wanted to do a lot of reading and uh, more preparation for writing. But then I got really tired of, of uh, being in school. And... <laughs> I joined the Peace Corps, and so I was sent to South Korea, and that really started me on a big um, digression. I That's why I wanted an international career. I loved being overseas, so when I came back uh, after the Peace Corps, I went to law school, and so I had my legal career, and it was only many years later, almost 20 years later, that I... Um, started writing because I wanted to get back to my original ambition. So I started taking classes. At that time, I was living in Washington, D.C., and I took classes at the Writer's Center in uh, outside of Washington and, and started to write and learn what I was doing. And cool. what, what year was that that you were at the Writer's Center? I... Um, so I was working at the World Bank from 96 to 2001, and I think I took some classes in 97, 98, somewhere around there. Oh, okay. I, I guess I missed you by a couple years. <laughs> I was actually working in Bethesda, and I took uh, some classes there in, like, I think more the mid-90s before going to graduate school. It's such a great place. Um, well, that's cool. I didn't realize you had been up there. I um, I... I took this wonderful workshop from a novelist and I learned a lot because I, well, I didn't know anything to start with. So <laughs> that was easy. Um, and, uh, but I was traveling so much with the world bank that I missed like half the classes. So I took the workshop again, the same teacher, different group of people. Um, and so I kind of learned extra because of that. And then I formed a, um, um, a critique group out of the members of actually some from each of those two workshops. And we met for many years afterward. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I ended up in a poetry group from a class there and, um, and yeah, we still see each other and it, it's um, yeah, it, it definitely, it's a really uh, wonderful place. And I was excited when I moved back to Charlottesville um, to find that we had a writing center here too. And um, and I love it that most of the classes I've taught, they formed a, a writing group afterward. So I think that shows a level of great trust. 
<laughs> and also just the relationships that you can help build. Right. right. Well, you know, if, if you go through a workshop, you learn um, who the people are who get you and, and who have something constructive to say about your work. So it's not like just meeting a stranger and starting to work together because that's often not helpful yep. to, to your writing. So the, starting with a workshop is a great way to, to form a, a group like that. Right, right. And I think um, it, and I think the other thing, and I know you teach as well, is just the, the whole notion of trying to create a really um, a supportive environment so that people are invested in each other's writing and that they are trying to help each other grow as opposed to just like, oh, I'm in a class, I'm going to rip your thing to shreds. <laughs> or I'm going to tell you how to fix it. That's my other thing. I'm always like, don't tell them how to fix it. <laughs> just tell them where you got stuck. <laughs> It's Cliff's job to fix it. <laughs> um, oh, cool. So, so then you, so you, you took some classes, you started writing, then when did you give up lawyering? <laughs> well, I uh, made the big leap in 2001 um, for a couple of reasons. One, at that point, I had been practicing law for 20 years. That seemed like a nice round number. It was the new millennium, also another nice round number. And so I quit, and um, I got some advice from an old professor of mine, uh, really my mentor when I was getting the, my master's in English, um, that I should start an MFA program, not because I needed a credential to teach, because I had no intention of, of teaching at the university level, but because I would be um, finding a community of, of writers. and. That made a lot of sense to me. So that's I enrolled in a uh, an MFA program in 2001, and I had the great good fortune. My my uh, employer, the World Bank, didn't really want me to leave, so they hired me back as a consultant, which was perfect because I was then working about half time, usually on trips overseas, and doing my MFA at the same time. So so that was great, cool. and. Um, so I worked on a novel during my uh, MFA program, and that was just really, I mean, I thought it was great, of course, but uh, it was good practice is what it was. And, mm -hmm. uh, and then I came out into the real world and started trying to get published. And at that point, were you pitching that novel, or were you pitching some of the short stories that came into print? Well, both. I... As I say, I thought the novel was great, so I was pitching that. I uh, got advice on how to do query letters to agents and and got some introductions to agents, and that didn't go very well. So, uh, but at the same time, I had started writing short stories, and the stories that I wrote first were the ones in my first collection, in an uncharted country, which mostly is set well. In, it's entirely set in a small Virginia town, kind of like the one where I live. And because I had um, recently moved here, those stories are, they, I'm not sure I set out to do this, but they tend to be about people who are displaced for one reason or another. They're in this small town and they're looking for a way to mm. fit in. Either they're newcomers like I was or... Um, their marriage has fallen apart, or for one reason or another, they're 
they, they're outside of their uh, comfort and looking for a way to fit. So that's where those stories came from because that was me. Yeah, interesting. And when you came to write what the Zhang boys know, did you know that those stories would become a kind of novel, they would, that they would link up in the ways that they do? I absolutely did. So, the, you know, the first collection of stories, really, I started writing them, and I wrote another one, and another one, and another one, and I ended up with this pile of stories that they were linked because I had overlapping characters, but mostly it was just a pile of of stories, and when you have so many stories, it looks like a book, and, and that's how that came about. But I really wanted to be a novelist, and I also thought that um, getting a novel published would be easier than getting a collection of stories published. So I, I mean, I didn't invent the genre of, of the novel in stories, but I did plot it out to be um, a novel in stories. Uh, in fact, I, what I did was I wrote the very first story in the book uh, to introduce all of the characters. Oh yeah. In the novel, and um, and basically, then I had an outline because I wanted to go into the heads of each one of those characters, and um, that was it was really awesome. So I knew from the beginning that that was a novel in stories. Yeah, cool. Very interesting. And um, tell us a little bit about the Shaman of Turtle Valley and how you've come to write this novel. Well, you know, I have been working on this novel for such a long time, I'm not sure I even know its origins anymore. But, <laughs> uh, but in a way, it's an extension of my first collection. So the landscape is similar. It's set higher in the mountains in a more remote part of the Shenandoah Valley. But, but the town where it's set is similar. The, the people are also um, generally Scots-Irish immigrants. And so in, in um, coming up with the idea, the character of Aiken is is more like just another character from that first story collection. And I conceived of his story uh, as being similar to the others in that he's uh, been overseas in the army and he's come back now and he's looking for a way to reestablish himself in this community with some enormous changes. That is, he now has a Korean wife, he has a young child, and um, so the themes, at least at the beginning of my work on, on the book, were similar to the themes I was exploring before. And then it just grew and grew and grew. I actually started working on it calculated the other day that it was 2008 when I started writing the book and I finished a draft of it in 2011 um, and it's been percolating ever since. Yeah. I know, I know and I feel bad when um, when when beginning writers say how long does something take you? Do <laughs> <laughs> you think you want the truth or do you want... Uh... <laughs> and the calculation is hard to make I find because Sometimes projects overlap. Like, I mean, what the Jane boys know, know came out after you had started this novel, right? 
Absolutely. So that was part of my problem is that calculation for for several reasons. So the the Uncharted Country came out in 2009, but at that time I had finished Jang Boys um, and was looking for a publisher for that. I had an agent who was shopping that. And while I was waiting for all those things to happen, that's when I started working on um, on The Shaman. And But I was also working on something else. I had an idea for another project. So I was actually for the first year or so of writing, I was doing both Shaman and then another novel, which in fact is coming out next year, but that's oh, another, another story. <laughs> and so, yeah, it's, it was three years, but it wasn't three years full time. And then, and now it's eight years after I finished it actually <laughs> that it's coming out. Did, um, did you continue to, to, to work on it during those eight years or? I did, uh, off and on. So I finished it in 2011. I got an agent. I got comments from the agent. I made changes. I broke up with the agent. I worked on it some more. I got a new agent. I made some changes that the agent wanted. Um, he tried to sell it. He wasn't able to sell it. I made some more changes, and then I sold it to a small press. So it went through quite a wow. few Wow, yeah. Yeah, um, I think that one of the things because I, I I I'm working right now on a on a book that's been forever and um <laughs> and by forever I mean forever, but I I do think that um that one of the things I've started to realize is sometimes the the space when you're not working on it is really important too. So that changes happen in your life or changes happen to your to your writing skills, and then when you return to it you can sometimes bring something really important. So sometimes a book does need, I don't know, 15 years, and sometimes it doesn't. But. Yeah, I agree with that. Um, for a number of things did happen during the, the writing of this. I had the opportunity to go back to Korea in 2011 for a couple of weeks. And, um, of course, I hadn't got to the end point of the novel yet at that point, but it was really useful right at that moment to, to be re-immersed in the culture and, and um, environment of, of Korea, which is you know, not a huge part of the book, but it's definitely an important part of the book. Um, so, so the timing there was, was good. That's yeah. Great. So you, yeah, your, your books, your stories have this multi-ethnic quality um, characters with very different backgrounds. Um, can you talk a little bit about how your experiences in travel inform that and does a, an inspiring novelist need to go to the places where out of which their characters come? Well, that's a really complicated question. Um, and it's both character and setting that are that come from the travel. And, um, you know, I've been to a lot of places, but there aren't a lot of, um, a lot of, let's say, ethnicities that I would be comfortable writing about. Um, I feel like because I lived in Korea for two years and I lived in 
um, Singapore, which in many ways is is a Chinese country, and because I've spent a lot of time in China, I feel more comfortable writing about those um, cultures yeah. than I than I might about someplace else. So I've I have spent time in Indonesia and in um, Vietnam, as you mentioned at the outset, um, but. I don't know those cultures as well. So if I were going to write about those places, they would probably be about um, Americans who are outsiders there. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, but in terms of setting, I, I do feel more comfortable um, any place where I have been. So I'll tell you a little bit about the, the book that's coming out next year. Um, yeah, great. And it's about a young Virginia man who... Um, thinks that there is a family secret that he needs to uncover and uh, the clues that he has lead him around the world to um, seek out some information about this family secret. So he starts by going to Singapore, uh, which of course I lived in for almost 10 years, so I know Singapore very well. Uh, he then is led to Japan uh, then France, then Mexico, and uh, these are all places where I've spent enough time where I was comfortable writing about um, those, uh, the geography and the people. So that was fun. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Wow. That is a very international book. <laughs> I'm excited for that one, too. Yeah. <laughs> and and is, is some of this informed by sitting in your small Virginia town and thinking, oh, it'd be nice to travel <laughs> again? Yeah. <laughs> um, well, that's, it's so exciting to, to hear that you've got these two books coming out back to back that you worked on. And will the forthcoming book, the one published in about a year, be with the same press? No, that's from a new small press. Well, not new anymore, I guess. Four years old press in Raleigh, North Carolina called Regal House Publishing. Oh, great. Okay. And yeah. that's coming out in fall of 2020. I actually have another story collection coming out in March of 2020 from Terrific. Press 53, the publisher of my first two books that's terrific wow this, you're gonna be uh, just sort of on the road i guess <laughs> promoting that's right so um what was i gonna say oh so i want to remind our listeners that we're talking with clifford garstang author of the brand new novel the turtle of excuse me the shaman of turtle valley and a number of short stories and short story collections. Perhaps he grappled with the idea of calling it the Turtle, the turtle Shaman, Shaman Valley. Valley. I know. I just love turtles. <laughs> but a good shaman. <laughs> a good shaman and, is always good. Too. <laughs> no, it's very exciting. <laughs> very, and, very exciting. Yeah. So, you know, that was not the original. My, the title that I started with for that book was, was something else. Uh, in fact, I... It's had two, it had two working titles before I settled on The Shaman of Turtle Valley. And um, in my head, and in fact on my computer, it still goes by another name. So, uh, <laughs> I, <laughs> I've done that and lost track of which file is the most recent. I have to stick with the original title in my bookkeeping system or I really? lose yeah lose a grip on it so what were um, the other titles 
Well, um, so the uh, the gem of the of the story, the germ rather, is, was um, this man Aiken, who, in order to support his young family, uh, as a sideline, starts making birdhouses. Um, and so, uh, so for a while, it was called birdhouse. Um, but that was really just in my head. And then um, when I started layering in the shamanistic religious practices of his wife, um, I changed the working title to Descent of the Mountain God. Um, so the Mountain God is a, um, a spiritual figure in Korean shamanism, very common uh, spirit who um, lives in the mountain and is the protector of the environment. And uh, the wife, Soon He, in the book, seeks help uh, from the mountain god. Um, and so because in, in that part of the story, he, the mountain god was such an important uh, element, I thought that, that that would make a good title. I was persuaded otherwise by um, people who know about the industry that that, that might be, um, I don't know, misleading, I guess. So we ah. went in a different direction. Well, it's interesting, too, in this audio format, um, dissent can sound like dissent, like disagreement. Sure. So that's an, uh, yeah, could be an interesting hiccup in marketing. But, or they would and, think that it was a religious Yes. Book. Right. I, maybe that was what also there. Yeah. I know. It's sort of the whole, the whole interesting. Well, I mean, I, you know, when um, people in my class are writing and their, their title is title or working title, I say pick something <laughs> um, because I think it does help you start thinking about what is this book and giving it a name. I think it's part of that. Um, although I think, um, I think, oh yeah, my, my first, I think my first title, yeah, my first book, the title got changed by the publisher. So you just don't want to get too attached, <laughs> but now I, I can't even remember what it was the original title off the top of my head, but I'm sure it was, it was probably, I think it was a terrible title, but it was my working title and I didn't know any better. And then they sent me like tw 12 things to pick from. Or I had to send them 12 things to pick from or titles, something. Titles can be hard. And you get different, you get dissenting opinions. I remember um, when I wrote Bible Babble, I had um, a lot of pushback from actually my agent at the time thought a better title would be something like biblical literacy. And But I liked the babble, the, uh, the ways that that can mean. Yeah. And, um, and I've had a lot of folks comment positively on that yeah so titles i mean they're really important and they're also tricky yeah, yeah. i would only say but bible babble can get you into the peter piper yes <laughs> you yeah. have to read it aloud just a little of that <laughs> but i kind of i like the yeah. title i do kind of like the title birdhouse for yeah. the shaman of turtle valley too because there's this domestic um element to the drama right yeah, yeah. right and so we um, this I had nothing to do with the cover uh, ideas initially, although I did help shape 
the cover design, um, but there, there was a birdhouse on the cover. So I kind of got, I got that um, element in there without using the word. So, yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's the cake and eating it too thing. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> but, you know, pronunciation is uh, is tricky with titles, and I I'm going to have to remember this forever and ever. But with my with the novel in stories, um, I so it's the story about the Zhang family, Z H A N G. Uh, it's a com common Chinese name. Um, and it's everyone except people who have studied Chinese pronounce it Zhang. And so when I'm talking about it and I try to be correct, I'll say what the Zhang boys know. And no one can hear the spelling of that word when I say it that way. Yeah. Um, so I kind of regret that name. Um, it, it was just the name of the guy. And so I needed to use it, but, um, mm -hmm. But it, so I also had an email from somebody recently about Shaman of Turtle Valley. And he said, do you say Shaman or do you say Shaman? Because apparently that is an alternative pronunciation. Mm -hmm. Right, right. So, so don't ever put like a hero sandwich in your title or anything. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it is funny. I've heard and so many different pronunciations and everyone's convinced that they're right. <laughs> yeah, and as readers, I think we, you know, you read along and whatever it sounds like in your head is what it is. So, right. yeah, so I've, I've thought of your novel and stories as the Z. So I think of the Z-H as a Z. And then, of course, A-N-G in the Anglo world of Zhang. Yeah. But it's Zhang or Zhang? Uh, the, the, the J sound is fine. Uh, okay. It's a little harder than, than, uh, than many J's, but Zhang. 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 Yeah. Okay. Yeah. 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 Titles. Titles are tough. So we were talking, Meredith and I, um, a little earlier about writing uh, difficult stuff. That is the kind of stuff that is difficult for an author to confront and, and um, wrestle onto a page, whether it is the difficulty of subjecting a protagonist to horrible things or reckoning with an internal obstacle. Do you um, have some thoughts on that? Well, I, I do. Um, yeah, I got, have lots of thoughts on that. Whether I can articulate them is another question. But <laughs> for example, with The Shaman of Turtle Valley, my main character is a well-intended young man who is kind of clueless. And he's pretty typical of young American men who are you know, not worldly or sophisticated. And so he doesn't behave well um, toward the women in his life. And, and I struggled with that depiction of him uh, because he, he doesn't seem to get it, at least not initially. And um, it's not that he's particularly abusive or, or, um, disrespectful, but, but he just doesn't always do the right thing. And 
So the way I decided to deal with that is to introduce other voices in the book. Um, and those would be the women in his life, his mother, his wife, his cousin, and his ex-girlfriend, all who know him better than he knows himself in some ways. Mm. So um, the reader then is able to see him in a, in a different light or in multiple lights. Mm. And um, so that it was a difficult subject, but, uh, but I thought that that multiple perspectives would um, help show how he grows and, and deals with his own cluelessness. Yeah, it sounds like a really good technique. In terms of things in my, my own internal obstacles, um, I don't, uh, I guess I'm not experienced enough yet to, to know how I deal with that. I'm thinking of one particular story that I hesitated to write, um, but that I felt I was a part of the events and that I therefore owned the events as much as anybody else in the story. And so I, I used the material and I tried to, to make it as um, fair uh, to all concerned as I, as I could, but I still got uh, pushback from it, but I, I mm. thought it was a good story anyway. Good. Yeah. Good for you. So yeah, I applaud that recognizing that it would be difficult to write, but that there may be value in undertaking it precisely for that reason. Yeah. Yeah. That, yeah. yeah that it's something good to tell. Yeah. A, there's a lot do. of bravery, I think sometimes in choosing a, a subject and then realizing that someone actually is going to read it. <laughs> yeah. If all goes well. Right. <laughs> and, as and, and what, and what will be the result. Um, so yeah, that takes a lot of bravery. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. And, um, we, you know, we look forward to talking to you again in the future and finding out how the next book goes and, and for people who want to see you in person and maybe hear a little from the Shaman of Turtle Valley, you've got some readings coming up, events. I noticed on your website, folks could go to cliffordgarstang.com. Um, next week, Richmond, is that right? Or this week, Richmond? Um, yeah, this, this week, Thursday uh, evening, I will be at Fountain Bookstore in Richmond. And um, and then next week, actually, I'll be in New York City. Oh, wow, great. Uh, doing a reading at Bo's Kitchen and Bar. It's a really interesting uh, reading series called Yeah, You Write. And, <laughs> and the people who uh, run this program have a really terrific lineup for next week, including Myla Goldberg and Will Allison and, and some other folks. So that's going to be really exciting. Fun. Wonderful. Oh, well, congratulations fun. and all best with this um, launch. We are so thrilled that you spent some time with us. And um, yeah, we'll be in touch. Thank you so Thanks much. Thanks so much for having me. It's been a wonderful conversation. Thank mm -hmm. you.
Well, that was uh, really wonderful to have a chance to talk to Cliff and uh, hear more about his story. Yes, so I hope that uh, listeners out there will check out his books, Clifford Garstang, and we look forward to your joining us for the next episode. With another exciting writer, and um, and we will bring more of our uh, problems and things that we're grappling with with our own writing, and um, and it's a useful useful to have this conversation. I feel by the end that I I um, have maybe a new understanding or some new insights into whatever's bothering me or you. Yeah, yeah, it's been really useful. Hopefully, it's useful for all of you. Thank you.